What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Ben and Chris Talk Sports. I'm Chris. And I am Ben. And we are here to bring you our opinions on our news, notes, and happenings from around the sports world. Continuing with our top 10 list today, we have running backs. The 10 best running backs Ben and I have seen during our lifetime. We also have some news. Christian McCaffrey got a new contract. The XFL appears to be at the end of the road. Some sports leagues contemplating playing in front of no fans. And we have our breakdown of some of the top receivers in the upcoming draft. And Chris, it is loaded. Yeah, you've been really excited about this. So we're we're not going to do that first. We're going to get into the, uh, the, the uh, top 10 list first because we usually run long on those and we got to make sure we don't put out a two-hour show. So we're going to get into that. This was the hardest one by far for running backs that I have done. So uh, Defense wasn't this hard. And there was more positions yeah. to go by. Receiver wasn't nearly this hard. I had so much trouble trying to place guys. Where do they stand according to this player, that player, in history? And and I, I had to think on a couple of them to see if they deserve to be in the top 10. And it's just like – and then you're playing that game of how long we actually watch them. And then we even had to, – to, full disclosure, we don't talk fully about these lists with each other. But there was one name that we kind of bandied about about. It was like, is this player really in our time frame? And we kind of both agreed that he just didn't belong in there. Yeah, their best years are behind them. Yeah. Yeah, it just it's just it was only fair to to keep the narrative going as if that player didn't play during our lifetime, then sorry. Yeah, or if we just don't have any memory of him, we can't as we've stated many times, we can't judge what we haven't watched or seen. Right. Even if they did play for a good portion of the time we were watching, maybe their best years were behind them, and we just didn't strike us in the way that, you know, they did a lot of people who watched them play earlier in their career. Right. Um, I would say, though, there were some players, even that played today, I considered putting on my list, and I, I, just, I couldn't bring myself to do it because of the, the low stats, which... I've done before when it came to the receiver and like putting Luke Kingsley on my defensive list, even though he didn't have a really, really long career. Like I think if you, in 10 years, if you look at this guys like Christian McCaffrey and Zeke Elliott might be there, but after only three years, four years, they're just not there yet. I can't put them there. So I, I thought about Lev Bell and uh, Zeke Elliott. Yeah, I did too. Just, there's just not enough. No, not I, enough. I guess the word would be enough tape so far right to insert them in the top 10 list four years from now five years from now hopefully we're doing this still i'm hoping we are maybe we reduce uh rediscover this list and say that those two gentlemen have pushed them a number of players off the list we'll never know we won't know yet time will tell but i think it's safe to say based on what we're seeing from some players right now that Oh, yeah, yeah, come come four or five years down the road, there'll be some switching going on. Oh, absolutely. Especially with my first one. Um, and I'll start. I kick it off at number 10. I just put him on there because I felt like he had to be on the list. Um, even though he wasn't what you would call the dominant player, he was a force and he contributed to success for uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that was uh, Jerome Bennis. I put him number uh, 10. Okay. Uh, he's got, you know, good, really good stats. He, he's 1500 yards total. Now I put everything together, rushing yards and receiving yards, because 
as we know, time has gone on. Yes. Running backs have become more dual threats. So I kind of humbled all the stats together, but he's got the pro bowls. He's got the AP first teams. He's got some awards. So obviously he's in the hall of fame and he's got the touch uh, the Super Bowl, which I didn't weigh the Super Bowls too much in their entirety because it is a team sport, right, but it yeah. is somewhat of a factor. Just Jerome Bennis, I thought he deserved to be on the list. But I tell you what, Zeke or Zeke or Lev Bell put one Super Bowl ring up and he put more stats in their career, he gets pushed right off the list. Well, I think based on how both those teams are trending, uh, Zeke and Lev Bell are on, I think the bus is safe for at least a few more years. But CMC might push him, though. CMC well, no. could. Yeah. CMC will probably push him off the list. CMC almost so pushed. CMC almost pushed my one of my top ten guys, uh, top ten guys off the list as it is, and he played three years. So right. Number ten for me, Sean Alexander. Wow. I mean, not 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 the biggest name in the world, but man, it was he had a twenty-seven touchdown season, rushing. Yeah, he did. This guy was a monster in his prime. Only played nine years, which is another reason he in in a short career he had a very high impact, and he wasn't one of those guys that had. Uh, cause uh, like you said, we don't, we don't discuss these a lot. We kind of, we don't want to influence each other one way or another, but I was looking at some stats or p- people who were going to be on this list and I got to Terrell Davis and just spoiler, he's not on my list. He had two really, really good years, one great year and then nothing. And I'm like, if we're going to go by three great seasons, then Christian McCaffrey and Zeke Elliott are already on my list. So I couldn't they're do that. Top five. Yeah. They're, they're creeping in the top five. Yeah. So I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't. I couldn't put him on there. Like, and if we're going down that route, Chris, we might as well just have that discussion about Lev Bell too. Exactly. And now, exactly. And now, and now we're tarnishing the good names of some of the guys we're going to mention because of what two, three good years. It's it's not. It's not about that. There is some something to say about a little bit of longevity. Absolutely. And like I said, Sean Alexander didn't only had a nine year career. Didn't get 10,000 yards, little under 9,500 career uh, rushing yards. 100 touchdowns, though. 100 rushing touchdowns. That's nothing to laugh at. Not much of a receiver. 12 receiving touchdowns, 1,500 receiving yards. Got an MVP and Offensive Player of the Year award. I believe the year he almost got to 2,000. He got like almost 1,900 yards. But, I mean, in his prime, he was a bulldozer. He was he was a monster. Much like most of these guys. They had their really their four- or five-year stretch where they were untouchable. And then... You know, he kind of fade off a little bit, with the exception of a few. But Alexander didn't fade off, though. Didn't he hit the cliff? Yeah, he he was one of those pretty quick. That that cliff just came and just said goodbye. All right, what do you got for number nine? Number nine, I have who is not retired. He is still active player, Lashawn McCoy. Okay, I think this is this, this is your. Modern one modern day, well, modern day. I say that in um a little bit of a a little bit of context that you know he's one of the ones that is the only one playing that you would even consent consider putting on this list just because of how much he's put on the field. He's almost at fifteen hundred yards total. Again, I put all the yards together because especially with someone like him, you need to put that uh, right with the way the offense is running. Uh, he has no awards. He's got a bunch of Pro Bowls. He does have the one Super Bowl, albeit he did get it with the Chiefs, and he wasn't a big factor. 
He still wants to play. He says two years. I don't know what he's got left. But I think he's his impact in the game with the Eagles and then with the Buffalo Bills, I think it just it tells us in our lifetime that we just we need to recognize what Shady McCoy did, especially fantasy wise. Fantasy wise, he was off the charts in his prime as a fantasy football player. Oh, absolutely. So I think that's one of the big factors that he just belongs in this top ten list. Okay, number nine for me, Beast Mode, Marshawn Lynch. I tried to get him in, but I just couldn't. I just remember so many runs. Like I said, a lot of these guys are here. Some of it is longevity. Some of them are just here because they had four or five really great years where they just took over the game. Or at least every game they played, not the rest of them, because they couldn't take those over. They weren't playing. But the ones they played in, they took over. And I remember Marshawn was just absolutely unstoppable when he got, once he got to Seattle. He was okay in Buffalo. It was good. Once he got to Seattle, they knew how to really use him up there. Man, he he really took off. 10,000 career rushing yards, 85 touchdowns. Has a Super Bowl with the Seahawks. Uh, Not much for receiving. 2,000 career receiving yards. Uh, A bunch besides that. I mean, no MVPs or nothing. A bunch of Pro Bowls and and all probably a few times. But, I mean, nothing... Nothing in the awards section that's really that amazing because he's he's a really quiet guy, honestly. Like he doesn't really do a whole lot football related outside of football, playing on the field itself. So I mean I think if he hadn't been distracted by whatever it was that kept him from playing those few years at the end of his career before he came back with Oakland. Or it was only one year he missed, but either way, it was only one year. But either way, he looked like he still had something in the tank, and you wonder if he'd be a little bit higher up this list with another thousand, twelve hundred yards or so. But either way, um, it says he played twelve seasons. In reality, he probably played like nine, because yeah. the two he came back with for Oakland and Seattle last year was literally just like the last two games of the year, because they had no other running back. So, I mean, I think that's a little misleading to say he played twelve years, but. Really solid player. One of the more impressive ones I saw was that game against New Orleans in the playoffs where he, I think, broke every tackle on the field yeah. to get to the, at the end zone. And that's really where Beast Mode was born. And for a few years, he really wreaked havoc. And, and, and some of these players that we call out might not have the numbers that some other players have uh, or the awards or the accolades. But again, it being our top 10 list and we've done it the other two um lists it's about impact too in the game and how if we felt an impact you know um the play on the field so that i don't i think that's correct in saying his impact in the game at some points deservedly so could put him on that list yeah and speaking of impact chris at number eight yeah, you might question this one. I don't know. But I feel like Priest Holmes at number eight is a good spot for him. I was I was looking at him, man. He was one of those guys. Short-term dominance. I mean, when he was on, though. Oh, man, when he was down in Kansas City, he was killing it. He was a dominant force. Knee injuries derailed his career. I mean, you could say that about a bunch of running backs. 
he just he carried Kansas City for all those years. He did. I, you could say he vultured a Super Bowl with the Ravens, but he, he worked. He he provided for the team. I just feel like he's, even though uh, there's another player that kind of started this evolution, um, who kind of played a little bit before Priest Holmes. I think Priest Holmes was kind of the the first iteration of this next gen running back dual threat out of the backfield that you're seeing nowadays um, with, you know, CMC, Zeke Elliott, to a lesser degree, Melvin Gordon, this is just do all back can do, you know, run route, crisp routes. I think he was the first iteration of that. Well, first one of the first iterations of that. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll actually see that kind of carry on through my next selections is, this is the first, if you want to say, the first guard of running backs that kind of had that formula that is paving the way for the next group that we are experiencing right now. Well said. For number eight, I have the aforementioned LaShawn McCoy. Oh, cool. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, you you said pretty much everything there's to say about him. I mean... Over 11,000 career rushing yards, 75 rushing touchdowns. Um, didn't I, I thought he would have had better receiving numbers than I, he did. He has 37, almost 3,800 career receiving yards, 16 touchdowns. I thought it would have been higher than that. But, I mean, I guess when you break it down, I thought with the rushing and the receiving, that's really good. Uh, this guy's not only had longevity at, at, a, at this position at least, He's also been a lot of times you've watched him play and it looks like he just died on the field. Yeah. Like how many times you think, Oh my God, Lashawn Choi just had a season ending knee injury. And then he's out for like six plays and he comes running back onto the field. It's like, dude, I just saw your knee turn inside out. How are you still walking around? So tough, lucky, whatever it is. This guy's definitely special. One of the best of this generation. Absolutely. Number seven is going to be, Unfortunately, uh, I got to swallow this one a little bit, but I got to give him props. Edron James. Okay. Combined over 1,500 yards. Yeah. What? 15,000. Yes, 15,000. Thanks for the correction. Uh, Over 3,000 yards receiving. So this is that mold I was talking about of just Mm -hmm. expanding your game. Uh, Multiple Pro Bowls. You know, not not the accolades at all pro. And again, all pro, if you look at the, all the my list, it's pretty down except for the top of the list because they're all playing a lot of the same time. So they're right. kind of crossing over. But he did pick up um, uh, an offensive rookie of the year, which a lot of them do. He's obviously in the, in the Hall of Fame. And he has a couple of Russian titles to his credit. And much like much like Terrell Davis, Edron James almost was able to push Peyton Manning over the edge like Terrell Davis did yeah. uh, John Elway. Uh, it just didn't quite happen. But Edron James was like – him and Peyton Manning, the stretch run to the outside, they made that a staple of just about everyone's offense – 
because of what Edge can do in the running game and obviously Peyton Manning's ability to play action. But without Edge, I mean, they're, they're nothing. I remember when Mar- Marshall Falk and the Colts parted ways. I was like, oh, sweet, okay. So they got they got Manning, but like, you know, they're really they're gonna really struggle at running back, even though they still had you know great receivers. And then Edger and James, I was like, oh cool, yeah, because they needed more offensive talent. That's awesome. Who you got, Chris? I have at number seven. Again, somebody who is higher up on your list or lower on your list, technically, Jerome Bettis. Wow. Um. Yeah, I know it's 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 a little high for some people, but and it it was that early to mid nineties play where you didn't really have the um the novelty of ten to twelve quarterbacks who look like they could all be pro bowlers. You didn't have a lot of these high flying passing offenses. You had a few, but not a ton. A lot of running. And you knew they were going to give the ball to Jerome Bettis. And the other team still couldn't stop him a lot of the times. I mean, never really had a season you look at and go, oh, dude, he's he's an MVP. But he did get Offensive Player of the Year. He did get Offensive Rookie of the Year. Mm-hmm. He won a Super Bowl. Won a Walter Bateman Man of the Year award. He's a Hall of Famer. Barely anything for receiving stats, which goes back to what I was saying. It was a time when... Quarterbacks would throw when they had to. Running backs just take the ball, run up the middle. Guys like Bettis. I mean, there were your, there were your faster guys in the mid, mid to late nineties too, who would you know run around the outside and stuff. But Bettis, it was almost fourteen thousand career running yards, pretty much dead up the middle. Go ahead and tackle me. No, you can't. Like <laughs> if he'd been twenty pounds lighter and he could actually get out to the outside, this guy would be probably two or three on the list. Yeah, just, I don't know, just wasn't dominant force enough for me to put him that high on the list, but I can see your point. So, uh, number six, this one kind of hurts. It's 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 going to pierce our souls a little bit, Chris. Curtis Martin. Yeah, uh, all right. Apparently, we always agree on number six, because that's who I have at number six, too. Yeah, I just you 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 can't you can't just glaze over Curtis Martin and say, oh yeah yeah he he was he was pretty good. No no he was damn good. Uh, he could have been one of those Patriot greats. Unfortunately, he went to New York and Bill Parcells used him like like no one else. No, I don't think oh. I don't. Yeah, no, I don't think New England would have used him the way Parcells used him at that time. That was pre Belichick. Yeah, it, so it, it, maybe, maybe he would. You're right. Maybe he wouldn't have had the career he had uh, in New York that he would have potentially had in New England. But it still sucks that he parted ways with New England. But he he garnered so much awards. He almost had a hundred total uh, touchdowns, capped off five Pro Bowls, All Pro, one First Team All Pro, and. And he is a Hall of Famer. Now he doesn't have a Super Bowl ring, but that's not going to tarnish his his stellar career. And I just think when you think Curtis Martin, you just think a dominant running force. 
out of the backfield. And again, another beginning, the beginning guard of that, you know, dual threat running back coming out of the backfield. He almost had 3,500 receiving yards, which at that time you wouldn't, it would be unheard of. Yeah. And and the thing is too, is he didn't win a Super Bowl, but he, the fact that the Jets got as far as they did many years was strictly because of him. Like it was solid defense and great running game with passable quarterback play. That was with the test of early years. Then he had some good years. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to rip on the guy, but Martin was the focal point of the offense. Right. And there was no doubt about it. And yeah, he, he was good in new England. And then he, when he went to the Jets, he really, really took off. No pun intended. I could have the pun intended. Chris. I mean, you can if you want to, but it wasn't. It wasn't meant to. But I was going to say turn down the Jets, but that would have been way too cheesy. But yeah, I already said it now, so there it is. All right, we got number five. Number five. This is this is the guy that that I think exemplifies what the dual threat running back started as, and obviously CMC and, and Zeke Elliott are the next generation. I'm talking about Marshall Falk. He, if you look at his stats in total, he has almost 20,000 yards and 136 total touchdowns. Now he only has 100, he only has 12,000 rushing yards, but he had almost 7,000 receiving yards. In an, in an age where, I mean, he developed as he went on. And then he, he when he hit St. Louis with the greatest show on turf, that just blew everything out of the park. And then he he had his season where he was the offensive player of the year and the MVP. He's got seven Pro Bowls, three first team, all pro first teams. Obviously, he only has the one Super Bowl ring, which I'm not broken up about because my team prevented him from getting the second one. But he is one of the greats that stepped on the field. No doubt about that. Number five for me, uh, somebody who I'm actually not that big a fan of, um, but I got to give him his props and his place in history, and that's LaDainian Tomlinson. Whoa. Uh, I mean, Whoa. dude, look, look at the numbers are ridiculous. I mean, almost 14,000 rushing yards in 170 games. I mean, that's not approaching anything near the first guy on our list, but it's it's about as close as you're going to find comparatively to who's number one. Like I said, uh, 145 rushing touchdowns in 11 years. Mm-hmm. He was the reason people used to win fantasy leagues back when that really became big. There's a three or four uh, year yes. stretch there, three or four year stretch, but he was the number one pick no matter what. Didn't matter if you liked him or disliked him until of course the year I got the first pick and picked him up and then he got injured. But because that's you know you know as a Patriots fan and he hated me for it. That's just um, the way it is. But no, I mean this guy was ridiculous. I mean he, six touchdown games were a norm for him for a time period. And I mean, another one where I was surprised he didn't have higher receiving numbers. I mean he had uh, almost forty eight hundred receiving yards and seventeen touchdowns. But I really thought he'd be more in the five six thousand yard range. But I guess not. But. uh yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, not a fan of him. He, he likes to talk a lot once he would leave a team about other people on a team 
and run his mouth a little bit. And I was never a fan of that kind of stuff. Like you had a problem, either keep it private or talk to the person. That's not really how LT did things, but, um, yeah. And I mean, he, and he takes a hit on my list too, because whenever it seemed to matter most, like the FC championship game where he stood on the side against the Patriots, where he stood on the sideline with his visor on, and wouldn't talk to anybody. Nobody knew if he was hurt or not. He just didn't play. So that, that the attitude took a hit for him a bit there, but I mean, I think for the other guys on my list, this is where he would have been anyways, truthfully. Because I couldn't put him above any of my top four. But, yeah, I mean, he's... Is that he got his MVP? He did somehow win a Walter Payton Man of the Year award. It was Offensive Player of the Year. Probably the same year he won MVP. He is in the Hall of Fame. Deservedly so. But, you have to wonder, too, if he played in a better team, like, better players around him, where he would have been. But those are the Phillip River year, Rivers early years. And... Yeah. That was even worse than the Philip Rivers middle years. So if he'd been in uh Marshall Falk shoes, whew, I don't know, man. I think we could have been seeing some history making numbers on our hands there. Could have. But, and if he didn't get that um ACL injury. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number four, Chris. Uh A D. Can't can't say anything more. A D all day. This man came into the league and took it by storm. I'm talking about Adrian Peterson, 1,400 yards, still playing. You keep saying 100. 14,000. Thank you. <laughs> Correcting me yet again. No, no, no. Uh, I feel I feel bad doing it, but like people are going to go 1,400 yards. That's not that impressive. What are they doing here? 14,000 yards, uh, 111 rushing touchdowns. Another player that – Seem to be a little low on receiving yards, but think of how many times he just one cut yeah. and gone. So that one, yeah, he didn't surprise me being low. He, he didn't because I don't remember, ever remember him being a dominant receiver. And and he's he's at four, uh, even though he doesn't have a Super Bowl ring. Back, I I don't know if he's been in the a- NFC Championship game at all. But he's got two MVPs. He's got two Offensive Player of the Years, and he's got three rushing titles. Just, I, I can't say much more about him. He, he's just a dominant force the second he stepped on the field. In fact, back to his um, college days at uh, Oklahoma, he was a dominant force there too. So it just carried on into the, into the pros. And he's still playing, so he could he could crawl up this list potentially. I don't see him getting you know the all time rushing leader because he's a good four thousand yards away from uh, Emmett Smith's uh, title. But who says he can't? I think Father Time, but uh, Adrian Peterson has proven that he can kind of put that on uh, put that on hold. So. Yeah. All right, for me, number four, Marshall Falk. Okay. I, uh, I look at his, I mean, this guy was, first of all, one of only three people to ever have a 1,000 rushing and a 1,000 receiving yards in a season. Mm-hmm. He he did it once. Damner did it twice. It was within reasonable distance of doing it a third time. I know, almost doesn't count, but still. He is the... Uh, creator, 
godfather, founder of the modern day dual threat weapon running back, like you said, uh, 12,000 rushing yards, almost 7,000 receiving yards, 36 receiving touchdowns, MVP offensive rookie of the year, three offensive player of the year. He's got the Super Bowl. He's in Canton at the Hall of Fame. Uh, I mean, you said it a few minutes ago when you picked him at number uh, a little bit higher up, but there was a time, I mean, it, and I don't penalize him for being on great offenses because a lot of guys are on great offenses and can't do anything. Right. You still have to have the talent. Maybe it benefited him. Obviously it did. It would benefit anybody who has talent to be with more talented people around them, but I don't follow him for that. I'm not going to knock him down for that. The only reason he's four for me and not three is because I had to do a coin flip with somebody else who I feel is also incredibly talented who had a little less talent around him. So I guess I did give him a little bit of a hit for that, but not didn't knock him too far down my list. All right, top three. Who you got? Well, you're not going to like this. I have LT at number three. Okay. I think he's – I understand your point about him being a little bit of a cancer, but I just think his offensive game was just so above most of the rest of them on the list. And he's got the single-season record with 28 rushing touchdowns. He's – He's just that, and obviously he's got the the um, all, uh, single season record for most touchdowns, uh, receiving and rushing together. He's he just as Marshall Falk is that uh, progenitor of the dual threat running back. Uh, Ladainian Tomlinson kind of carried that along to the next group that we're seeing now, and he just was so dynamic. And again, he, as you said, he just, he made fantasy football teams win. He just took them on their back and said, we're going. Oh, yeah. Even, though, have, he, <laughs> even yeah. though he really didn't do that for them. But, but if you picked him, with the exception of his, his injury year, sorry, Chris. Yeah, um, first, the only first time I ever got number one pick. Yeah. Uh-huh. He just He just carried fantasy teams. Now, he couldn't carry a real team. Uh, well, that's because he had the, the ineptitude of Philip Rivers at quarterback. So correct, correct. Uh, it's just I just I just can't shake the talent, and I and I sh- can't shake the natural ability. He is technically he's number three in total yards collectively. I just I can't I can't shake that, and it's just he's just that good. I think he's just that good. I think number uh, three picks three through five. We really just jumbled around because my number three pick is Adrian Peterson. I thought that uh, was going to happen. 2000 yard rusher. Damn near had the highest single season rushing total ever. Uh, not like, eh, not much of a receiving threat at all, but I mean, does have almost 2,400, you know, receiving yards. So not nothing, but certainly not. He's not getting in the Hall of Fame just for that. And he is, as of now, still active. I believe he wants to play the upcoming season as well. Um, He's not the same player he used to be by any stretch. But there was a very respectable length of time, especially for a running back, when this guy would just put on a show every Sunday. 
And I mean, uh, if it wasn't for, well, number one on our list is is number one because he is number one. Number if it wasn't for the totals of number two, uh, I think I think Adrian Peterson could even be up on number two. Honestly, just if number two isn't there where he's at within his numbers, I could see myself skipping AP ahead of Ladanian Tomlinson and putting AP there. Yeah, same here. Well, let's get to it. I think we have uh, we have the same we have the same for number two. Yeah. Um, Do you want to do two or one? I'll do two. I got Emma Smith. Yep. NFL all-time leading rusher. 18,355 career yards. 164 rushing touchdowns. I don't care who he played with. That is impressive as hell. I don't care how many seasons he played. By the way, that was 15. So I believe the most of anybody on my list. I think the next closest was Bettis and Peterson with 13. Yeah. I mean... Not a whole lot of receiving yards for a career that length, but he didn't really have to when he was taken to the end zone every time he touched a damn ball. So uh, the three three Super Bowls with the Cowboys. He's in the Hall of Fame, obviously. He has an MVP and an Offensive Rookie of the Year. I'm surprised he didn't have more awards along the way, but I think played on a really a lot of really talented teams, so that kind of took away from it a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, this this is the guy. This is the all-time leading rusher. And if it wasn't for the epic greatness of the guy at number one, he'd be number one on most people's lists. And didn't he break the, but even though we know he played in Arizona, his last, I think it was two seasons. I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't he break the record? And I believe he broke the record in Dallas. I can remember that. I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. That image of him running. And then almost like, I don't want to say crawling because that's kind of disrespecting him, but he kind of like on three on like three or four, like, Two hands and, a, and two feet, he kind of like scurried to get the record. Yeah. Because I don't think it was just like this big run or no, no, it was just like one yard. 10, 12 yard run, I think, but he like tripped up a little bit and he almost missed right. it. Yeah. Right. But in, in, in what you would want to see, he did it where he's done it most of his career in Dallas. I think it was that last, in his last year. I'm pretty sure it was. And, yeah. obvi- and obviously he finished up in Arizona. He kind of put on some extra yards to kind of buffer it I, I don't know i don't know if someone's gonna break it but uh we can get to that later but obviously the the unveiling of number one is is probably one of the greatest players in the game in any sport and i would in any sport i would contest that if we did all-time running backs and we had someone with us who saw the uh, all-time running backs. Jim, Jim Brown, Browns, Gale Sayers, those guys, yeah. Yes, well, Walter Payton. Yep. I would still stand firm that Barry Sanders is the greatest running back. That Dude, we've look at seen. the numbers. You can't deny it. The numbers are ridiculous. Numbers in a shortened career because he stepped away. Now, we don't need to go down the road of, of Detroit because you know what Detroit is. Uh, Detroit Lions are, not the city. The Detroit fans are uh, a dedicated bunch who have tried to support a team that just for some reason, this team just never gets out of its own way. And then we've talked about it two potential one hall of famer, but two potentially two hall of famers stepped away early just because they couldn't get away from this team because they wanted to see success. Oh yeah. Calvin Johnson also. Right. I'm, how pissed are you if you're a Lions fan of that? 
oh, she's, you, you're you're visibly upset. And and just top on that, Chris, what happens if, God forbid, Chris Slade turns out to just go nuts in Philadelphia? I just, I don't know how, how that'd be possible, but imagine if he just elevates his career to a Hall of Fame status. Oh, Darius that's Slade? A, yes. Yeah. Did, I, did I say a different name? I think so, I but it's okay. Dar- I meant to say Darius Slade. I know, I know what you meant. Sorry. But Barry Sanders, uh, in a shortened career, had 1,500 yards, just under 3,000 yards receiving, 99 rushing touchdowns, 10 Pro Bowls. Dude, he had a Pro Bowl every year he played. Six All-Pro first teams and three All-Pro second teams. So nine of his 10 seasons, he All-Pro'd. MVP, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Three Offensive Players of the Year. Obviously, he's in the Hall of Fame. 2,000-yard rusher. And he's got four rushing touchdowns, which yeah. matches Emmett Smith's. Titles? If he rushing played, titles? Rushing titles. Yeah, he has four rushing titles. Uh, but if he plays the same amount of career as Emmett Smith, he maybe has probably better numbers, to be honest with you. But he's just he's just emblematic of what – the running back is. It just carries the load of that time of that time period, and he could turn a negative five yard loss into a twenty yard gain. Uh, that, that's what I was going to say too. Is how many times did he look like he was going to lose yards, and then he he'd end up getting you know fifteen twenty yards. And if you actually added up all the space he ran, he probably ran a good seventy to eighty yards on some of those plays just to get a good fifteen to twenty. I mean, just evading tacklers. Breaking tackles. This guy was as dominant as you'll ever see. Almost in ten years, almost averaged a hundred rushing yards per game. Insane. What you might say, Insane. oh well, that's that's not really that big of a deal. Well, that is because that's sixteen hundred yards a season, which is far above average uh, as to what we see today and even back in his day. I mean, this guy, one of the, as I said earlier, one of the few players ever. Of two thousand career uh, rushing yards in a season, I mean, and when he was in his prime, walked away, and I mean, had no sign of slowing down. No, I mean, he, I, I, if you told me this guy would have gotten to twenty, twenty three, twenty four thousand career rushing yards, I wouldn't, I couldn't doubt him until I actually saw him losing it on the field. But unfortunately, he walked away before he got to see what he could have really been. But man, what. <laughs> I don't ever say this, but if you ever want to see just plays that make you scratch your head, like how do you do that? Go back and watch some old footage of Barry Sanders because this guy was incredible. I, I, I see players like this, the greats. You remember where you're at on at, when you have like like something great happens in their career? Because I remember exactly the moments, and who told me when Barry stepped, stepped away from the field and I was in a state of shock when yep. I found it out. I remember that very That's, well. That is, that is something you don't forget. It's just, it's one of those, one of those, and that's where you get the the great players. You just remember there's, there's a moment and I'm not pigeonholing it to when they retired or when they stepped away, but there's a moment when you just like Tom Brady and Julian Elman, you remember your moment when you saw 
the play, the, mm-hmm. the, the catch. And that's one of those things that just imprints in your head and just like you remember it for the rest of your life because you just, it just is imprinted in your head. And this, the moment he stepped away, it was just, it shook me. And because his greatness wasn't fully understood yet. He stepped away his last year. He had just under 1,500 yards. This is a guy who played with no good quarterbacks. No. At all. No, and not great offensive lines either. Well, obviously, since he's, you know, dodging uh, defenders left and right in the backfield, you could just imagine if he had a decent quarterback, what he could have done. Even if he had had Matthew Stafford, if he was on the team today, they'd be – hell of a lot better off than they were when he was playing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Chris. So you got some, uh, you got some wide receiver draft prospects. Buddy, this is some good stuff. And I'm not just saying it because I'm geeked up about it, which we know I am. Oh, yeah. This Uh, is your, this is your Christmas. This is your, draft draft season for football is your your happy time so so a couple of these names i knew the top three names i knew but i looked at the top eight now we might not get to all eight but i'll just put it out there i looked at the top eight. Oh my god chris the top eight is stacked when i said you know we could see 12 uh wide receivers in the top 40 55 and and six seven in the top in the first round i was just going off of what everyone else is saying it's like oh look at all these mock drafts oh look at all these these experts are saying this you actually go look at them you understand why they're saying these players should go now obviously you're not gonna get eight players in the first round uh eight wide receivers in the first round but i wouldn't highly i wouldn't question it because if there's a team that likes a player and they want him and they can jump up and get him, they might pull it off. I'm going to start at the top, CeeDee Lamb. I've heard that name a lot. Ah, he's the wide receiver out of Oklahoma. He played three seasons. He was productive in three seasons. He essentially was the part, uh, core of the offense at Oklahoma. His comp, Chris, I am not joking. I had to watch this 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 receiver twice to make sure that the comp was right because I had a couple other players that I thought he was a, a good comp for. I watched Steve Smith's senior film twice. I don't want to say it's a dead act, exact replica, but it, there's a lot there. There's a lot. The the one thing I see from from Steve Lamb that I saw from Steve Smith, he'll make a catch with his back to the defender. And his momentum would be carrying him one way, but as soon as he lands, he's going the other way. Just watch the vi- watch video on it. It's it's insane how much you see set resemblances in him. And they were saying too that that was a guy who was going to be drafted by the Cardinals. Arizona had an eye on him. Now that they because, have traded, they fleeced Bill O'Brien. I should say now they have yes. fleeced Bill O'Brien and the Texans for DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think right. they have that need. They seem good at receiver. So where could you see him going besides uh, the Cardinals? Uh, the first team that comes up on the board is number 11, the New York Jets. 
uh, they have a clear need at wide receiver. Yeah, they're hurting. Especially receiver, with, yeah. with Robbie Anderson going. I see the the Raiders taking him possibly. Uh, Miami's second first round pick, possibly. Uh, and I can see a team jumping up to get him. Uh, absolutely. Especially if you watch the tape that they get. I'm looking at YouTube highlight videos, um, season highlight videos. If the teams are looking at the Alt-22s and, and coaching film, they're seeing more than what I'm seeing. So CeeDee Lamb to the Jets, the Raiders, and the Miami Dolphins is absolutely going to happen. But I also would not be surprised to see a team jump up into the top eight and take them. The next guy we're going to go to is, is, is Jerry Judy out of Alabama. I've heard him comp to Julio Jones. Is that true? So I tried look. I did look at Julio Jones, Chris. I did. I can see shades, but I like a different player as a comp. I like Greg Jennings as a comp. Oh, okay. I see, I see more Greg Jennings in Jerry Judy than I do Julio Jones. But that was a player I looked at first. Uh, even though uh, Jerry's a little bit shorter, doesn't have the um, physicality that Julio Jones does. But I also looked at pro video. I'm betting if I looked at Julio Jones' college video, maybe I'll see some more likenesses. I just saw Greg Jennings. I see the the inside slant route that he takes, and a younger Greg Jennings just takes it and goes for six. I see the hands. all The, the hands just – it stands out to you for Jerry Judy, the hands and the route running. They're just off the charts. So let me let me let me take a guess here. I have the draft list in front of me. Let me take a guess at where he he might fit in well. Sure. sure. Uh because you already did this, and I don't I don't want to just say like a bump on a log. So I'm a I'm gonna participate. Uh I, I I'd say that looking at the board, if you think uh uh the other kid's gonna be number one, the number one receiver taken. Yep. That I'd say Denver. I didn't have him going to Denver. I think Denver I would be good because they desperately need a receiver. I could see Denver. I mean, they I did have... draft someone, but yeah, they 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 they're not deep there, and they could use a good big body receiver with their young quarterback. I would say because of and and I'll get into this when we do the mock draft. I'm looking at defense and more importantly, offensive tackle for Denver. But if the options are Jerry Judy and the fourth best tackle, they would probably lean Jerry Judy. Oh, that'd be smart. Yeah. I'm looking at two teams and it's the team after the Jets. It's the Las Vegas Raiders. Okay. Who need, you need a, a wide receiver. So they're going to get one of these guys, but the other one, and you'll see this pattern happen for the rest of the wide receivers, uh, Philadelphia. Uh, if he drops enough, Right. I see Philly, Philly taking Jerry Judy. Oh, they'd have to. Uh, the next one, Henry Ruggs III. This kid has been pr- pretty productive. Uh, he's been utilized in all aspects of the game. He's been uh, doing a lot of bubble screens. He catches the ball in space a lot. And I mean a lot, Chris. Uh, you, you look at highlight videos and you expect to see you know, the circus catches – the contested catches, uh, a player making 
a physical catch on with a receiver or with a the defensive back on them. All I saw was a lot of in space tunnel screens, bubble screens, uh, uh, end arounds, reverses out of the backfield just to get them in space. So this, this cop is going to scare people a little bit, but I want to, I want to put it on the, the, the high end of the version of this player, Percy Harvin. Oh no, don't sleep on Percy, man. Cause a couple, a couple years, Percy was, was used properly in, uh, in Minnesota. He was yep. a game changer. Uh, he absolutely was, and we know he had issues um, in the, not not had like concussion, but migraines, right? And which caused issues, emo- yeah. mo- emotional issues, and maybe he wasn't as attached to the game as he could have been. But I like the versatility of Henry Rose the third, especially obviously being on Alabama. They have some of the best receivers in the, in the country. Where do I see him going? I see Miami possibly taking him. Jacksonville's a possibility, uh, even though I don't think they will because I just don't know what Jacksonville's going to do. I don't think they need a receiver, honestly. Well, they could use one, but I think their greater need is to trade down. Yeah, and somebody else come and pick them up. Right. Obviously, the the elephant in the room would be Philadelphia. They just need receivers. Let's put it bluntly. Dude, if you had, I don't if you think my, go ahead. I think Miami would be a good selection uh, for him to go to. I just don't know if they're going to go that route, depending on what they take at number one. Man, if you're Philadelphia and you could get a guy like that, a Percy Harvin comp with Miles Sanders in the backfield, uh, and you know you got your your tight ends, your really your good pair of tight ends there, dude, that 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 could really transform that offense. Absolutely, it it's it makes. It makes the entire team scary if you can just add someone with that ability, especially a kid like that. If he can, because I watched the video of Percy Harvin and he had instant impact day one. You're talking kick returns, punt returns. You know, he had Brett Favre throwing him, so he was bombing the ball. You don't think uh, if Carson Wentz can get him the ball, and especially with the, the screens they run. And the kind of routes they run in, on their offense, plus the uh, the kind of plays that they like to run, and the innovative uh, Doug Peterson who does all sorts of crap. I just think uh, Henry Ruggs, if somehow Philly can get him, they should try. Uh, Jerry Judy and Ceedee Lamb are kind of out of their reach, but I think Henry Ruggs is right there. I mean, that might be a bit much. I mean, they have the twenty first pick, so the third best receiver in the draft at twenty one. Uh, I don't know. They need to move up is the, the, the real crux of the issue. All right, I'm going to throw – I had to watch this video twice, two reasons. One, because I've never watched the guy. Two, I tried to learn his name. I they should I be good. They should be good. Okay. <clears throat> Lavishka Sanant Jr. out of Colorado. Dude, after trying to pronounce that, Yannick and Jaku sounds easy. <laughs> I had no idea about this kid. I saw him on, on on scouting reports before the season started. I saw him on draft boards before the season started. Seeing him on draft boards, I'm like, what's the deal with this kid? Chris, I put him on. Colorado had a decent season. Colorado wouldn't have one win if they didn't have this guy on their team. That good, huh? 
Uh, he did punt returns. He did some kick returns. He was the focal point of their offense. Uh, deep balls, slants, in routes, every sort of route you can possibly run in college. Bubble screens, tunnel screens, end arounds. And oh, wait, he even ran the ball out of wild, Wildcat. Dang, man. I'm not, I'm not joking. Chris, this is the comp. I couldn't think of anybody else. Julio Jones. Huh. I'm not even joking. Julio Obviously Jones. Obviously, that comes from the receiving aspect, right? Because I've never seen Julio run. No, this is purely okay. when you see him receiving the long strides, the physical abilities, the, the high pointing, just being able to take the ball, especially a real a – real, I know Julio Jones is not old, but a younger – non-injured Julio Jones could take take slants in routes curl routes and take them for six this is what this kid was doing all season last year it's scary how much I think he looks like Julio Jones uh, I got a place for him uh I have two places but go ahead I'm a guess Minnesota yes I actually have met Minnesota because they just they just got rid of Diggs and they have Thielen yep. who can run down the field. They had this kid who could do the rest of it. Yep, uh, that's along exactly with a great running back. Going. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, the right. other team. Yeah. The other team is the same team I've been saying for the past four times. Philadelphia. Well, Phil, it's a little more realistic though. At twenty-one, have yes. the fourth-ranked receiver at twenty-one for Philadelphia. I mean, if they could get the guy, uh, Rugs was your third. Yep. Yeah, they could get rugs, okay, but this other kid we're talking about now is a little bit more realistic at 21 as opposed yeah. to rugs, unless they trade down, like you said, or up. All right, our next guy comes from a lineage, and I don't mean like his blood, but I mean from his school, a lineage of pretty good wide receivers to great. Hmm. I'm, of course, talking about T. Higgins from Clemson. You have your DeAndre Hopkins, your Sammy Watkins, uh, the kid Renfro that's with um, Oakland. We'll see what he pans out to, but he is from Looks Clemson good so as well. far. Yeah, looks pretty good. Uh, T. Higgins. He, he was super productive at Clemson every year he was there. Obviously, uh, the first, I think the first year, I don't remember his quarterback. Uh, his second year, I think it was um, – no, his first year was Kelly Bryant, who flamed out. But his next two years were Trevor Lawrence. Uh, extremely productive wide receiver. He's 6'4", 215, Chris. He's not a small guy. That's a good-sized receiver, yeah. Yes, yes. And and naturally you would think, oh, well, his cop must be one of his uh, his uh, a modern mates. You know, DeAndre Hopkins or, or Sammy Watkins. Nay. A.J. Green. I see the hands. So he's, he's already injured? No, he's no. Well, oh, good, uh, good, okay. Uh, I just guess. Actually, you said A.J. Green, I assume. I, I actually, I'll, I'll backtrack on that. He did get injured in one of the late season games and uh, didn't come back in the game. And then he got injured in another one later in the season. Well, no, it's not It's not funny now if he really got hurt. And he did really get hurt. Oh, uh, he He... He played in his last game, but it wasn't the full game he played. So, yeah, it's – but but 
talent wise, he's got all the tools that AJ Green has, the size, physicality. Okay. He can obviously develop a route running. He's got good hands. He can high point the ball. He's really he's a really, really good receiver. Uh I got him going to three different teams. Uh, I, think I, got, I think I got one of them. Yeah, well, what's one of them, Chris? Uh, I think I have two guesses actually. The Dolphins at twenty six. Okay. I could see him going there if they don't get one earlier in the draft. That's their second first rounder. They're probably going quarterback with the first one. Right. More than likely. At number five. Uh at twenty six, the pick they got from Houston when they fleeced him for Jeremy Tunsil. Or Laramie, not Jeremy. Sorry, Laramie. Um I would say I don't think Seattle would go receiver, so I'd get go Baltimore at twenty eight. So I didn't I didn't I didn't think Miami, just because I think they're gonna try to at twenty six, I think they're gonna try to nab uh either DeAndre Swift or Jonathan Taylor if they feel like they need to get that running back. Are they gonna try to go running back? Okay. They might. They might. Uh if you talk to a lot of Dolphins fans, they hate the idea of them taking a first round running back. Uh but I like the Baltimore one because I had him going there. I do have Seattle looking at him potentially. Really? Even with Lockett and um and DK Metcalf? Yeah, Metcalf. I yeah. think I think there's a possibility. Okay. Uh I also have the incumbent, the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, I, I, it's not even trying to be funny at this point. They have to take a receiver in first round. Like they, I'm trying that, to hammer that is, that. Their, that is their most glaring need is receiver by a mile. They have to get a receiver. Like at some point, they have to take one of these guys. I'm just going to put it out there to Eagles fans. They have to take one of these guys. Oh, Eagles fans know it, dude. I think Eagles fans I've talked to know it. Like they, they, they're saying the same thing. Um. If I have time, Chris, uh, I'd like to try to uh, burn through three guys real quick. I think All right, yeah, go right ahead. Uh, Justin Jefferson from LSU had an incredible season uh, uh, paired with Joe Burrow. So take it for what you take it for what it's worth that both Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson had incredible seasons. Uh, his comp, I see him like a Doug Baldwin. Okay, Although nothing Doug- wrong with that. Although Doug Baldwin was undrafted and Justin Jefferson at minimum will be a second round pick, I think. But I do see Green Bay, Philadelphia, even as San Francisco possibly nabbing him if they wanted to take him at the end of the first round. That's what I was thinking. Green Bay could use him for sure, but uh, San Fran is at 31. I mean, uh, do they need a receiver? I don't know, but... At some point, they keep taking these receivers. They got to hit on one of them, right? I mean, Debo Samuel looks good. Debo looks good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see them maybe moving down to the first or second pick in the second round and trading with one of those teams if they wanted to try to get pair someone with their quarterback. You know, if if, uh, Cincinnati picks Joe Burrow and they wanted to pair, uh, they saw a guy at center or guard or tackle that was left. And they wanted to pair that, or actually probably be more center likely, but pair them with um, Joe Burrow and try to have that fifth year option possibility together. Uh, I could see them trading down and getting, you know, Justin Jefferson early second round. Here's an interesting name that you should pay attention to because if you are a fan of anybody in the Big Ten, and the Big Ten is a conference in the college football. 
unless you're a Penn State Nittany Lions fan, you absolutely hate this guy. Trust me, I experienced him last year with my Wolverines. K.J. Hamler is an absolute nightmare. I equate him to the best version of Dante Hall. Oh, okay. So he's kind of multi multifaceted. He can do more than just yes. just run down the field. I think he can. I think he can have uh, more abilities as a receiver than Dante did, but the skills, the elusiveness, the speed, the speed, Chris is there. He is. I hated him. He is the reason. <laughs> he is the reason why Michigan lost this year because he could just blow coverages like the best of them. It was just disgusting, really. Remember Dante Hall? I used to call him the human joystick. I always found that a really, really weird nickname. It was. I got it, but I was like, man, there's just so many weird places you could take that. Why would you do that to yourself? (laughs) I I just don't – I don't want to say he's going to be Dante Hall's career. I just think the skill set is there comparable to Dante Hall. He just has, I think, more of a wide receiver – abilities than Dante did but that's kind of like that was the one player I had a problem trying to find his comp right so you see him going to the Eagles like everybody else right so so do you there are there any other teams that you can see him going into uh I'd say he's probably not going to be a first rounder based on what I've seen yeah um man I could see I could see Indianapolis taking him at 34 I could see uh, the Giants at 36. They got Isaiah Simmons at pick four. And uh, go in the second round and try to give Daniel Jones and uh, Saquon Barkley something to help him on that offense. Okay, okay. Who'd I can see that. Uh, this is incumbent on the Jets taking somebody else at their first first round pick. I could see them taking K.J. Campbell at the second round pick. Also... Watch out for Cincinnati. Possibly oh, take it. Okay. If, if they don't move up into the first round and maybe they want to collect some picks because how long does Adrian Green have? Man, uh, he, might, he, might be done, he might be done already, honestly. Right. And Boyd is a mystery. And then the third guy I can't recollect because he can't stay on the field. John Ross. Thank you, John Ross. Which, unfortunately, I don't think he'd be another John Ross, but, I mean, that could happen, and that could scare Cincinnati. But I think those three teams. The last guy I want to get to, it's another one that I had no clue on. Uh, Jalen Ragor from TCU. He's fast. And his 40 time was a 4-4-7, which is not fast. You put on the tape, he burns everybody. He smokes them like no well, business. There's a lot of guys who are really, really fast at the combine who don't do anything in the NFL. So right. that's uh, there's a difference between being fast and being just really quick off the ball, or uh, excuse me, quick yeah. off the line. I mean, right. there's a big difference. You can you cannot be fast in a foot race, but when you get on the field and and, and you're running towards the end zone and you're running towards something, it's a right. whole different story. I he's just he can punt return, he can kick return, he's multifaceted much like a bunch of the other ones he's only 511 which might be why he's kicked down on this list and he went to a lesser school 
I see his comp as Deshaun Jackson. Okay. I I just looking at both of them, uh, one after the other, they're very close to each other. In impact, the instant impact he could potentially make in the return game, and then his downfield ability, especially the way the offenses work nowadays, it's just it's really scary that this guy could be taken beginning to the middle second round and have the impact of a top 15 pick. Mm. So you're saying he could be it, a steal. It could be. There's three teams I have him targeted for. We know what one of them is, Chris. We know what one of them is. The Philadelphia Eagles. Right. There's two other ones. And you brought up one of them already. The Giants. Okay. I see him going there. Can you see what the third team is? Oh, uh, let's see. You got the, I said the Eagles and the Giants. Uh, I mean, I think you got to go Houston. I just I think they're, they're too bloated with receivers at this point that aren't good. That's true. We know none of them can stay on the field, but they know that, and they still do dumb moves. Okay. Um. Let's see. I think Carolina's good. Chargers, maybe? I didn't think Chargers. That's actually not a bad spot. No, I got them going to Detroit. Okay. All right. I know they have receivers. Obviously, they have Kenny Galladay, one of the premier receivers. Yeah, but this kid sounds like a much different style of receiver than Kenny Galladay, so they'd be a nice contrast. Exactly. And if you're scared of losing Kenny Galladay, which you should be at the end of this season, it's not bad to bring in a guy now right? and see how much he can elevate. Yep. It's not a bad option. All right, that was pretty good. That was informative. I, I learned some things and found out some names I should keep an eye on too. Guys I hadn't heard of before. Oh, trust me, I learned some things full, too. Full disclosure, I don't I don't really uh know all that much about college. I do pay attention when the draft comes around, but Ben is the guy you want to go to for that information, that's for sure. But I want to move on to a couple of bits of news. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, yeah. thanks for that cuz that, that was honestly informative. So, I enjoyed the draft a lot more knowing that stuff. Uh, Christian McCaffrey got paid. Got a couple bucks today. Got uh, paid. The Panthers decided to not mess around, which was very smart on their end. Right. To not mess around, not worry about a fifth year option, not worrying about an extension to take their all world running back who is the focal point of that offense. And everybody knows it and they still can't stop him. Uh, this past season became only the third person to ever both run and receive for a thousand yards in a season. Of course, the other ones were, uh, I want to say Roger Craig was the first one. And of course we mentioned earlier, Marshall Falk. This kid's only in his third year going into his fourth year. They decided to bypass any chance of losing him, making him unhappy, making him feel unappreciated, making him the face of the franchise and gave him a four year extension. And that is the smartest thing I've seen the Panthers do in quite some time. I agree. Because he's not going to be washed up. He might be, continues to take the abuse he's taken as far as the carries go and, and you know, having so many receptions. At some point, it's going to catch up to him. But uh, not an injury-prone guy from what I've seen. Uh, tough kid. Really, really determined. Really wants to win. Good head on his shoulders. 
the kind of guy you want to pay to be one of, if not the face of your franchise. And uh, I, I would love it to be, I would love this kid to be on my team, put it that way. So great move by the Panthers. It's interesting because um, we'll have to see when the official contract comes out and where the year actually starts. Cause I, I don't quite know yet where the, the official first year of the new contract will start, but he could possibly be 28 or 29 when his contract is up. Right. So he could be a UFA at 29 and still get a three, four year deal because of his versatility as a receiver out of the backfield. It, it's a win-win for everybody. He, he's the highest paid AAV running back in the league right now. At yeah, he passed, per. Just passed Zeke Elliott, who had 15, a little over 15 per, and deservedly so. He's the best. He's the man. And he may have may have undersold himself. May have. But he now has – like you said before, there was a, there was a player that you said um, – uh, Austin Eckler. You mentioned he signed his contract. He's going to see all that money. Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, barring a crazy injury, knock on wood, I'm not going to actually knock on wood. Uh, Well, I love CMC, so I did. CMC will probably see all $64 million plus whatever, whatever bonuses they add into it. It's a home run for everybody. And lesson learned from Elvin Gordon and the San Diego Chargers. Because realistically, you could blame both sides for that one. Melvin Gordon should have played the entire season. And San Diego offered him 10 per, 10 per year. Probably undersold him a little bit. Yeah. If you gave him 12 or 13, maybe you have Melvin Gordon. But again, I mean, CMC and Melvin Gordon are uh, – Melvin Gordon's talented. He's nowhere near the league of Christian McCaffrey. Correct. And to your point, they offered him 10. And if if he was smart, he would have taken that because, like you said with the Eckler, uh, to my previous point, he's going to see all that money. If they gave him 10 per over, say, four years, he's going to see all that money. These guys want to sign these $100 million, $80 million, $100 million contracts with their 35 to 40 guaranteed up front. But then they get to the middle of that contract and they never see the last 40 to 50 million because the team releases them or they want to restructure or whatever. McCaffrey right. is smart. He knows he's the face of that franchise. He is going to have so many opportunities outside of football to make money and have extra income. So even if he did, and this is ridiculous saying it, but like we've said, sports money is kind of monopoly money. Even if he did take a bargain at 16 million a year, he's going to make that up in the long run and he's going to see his entire contract. And he's now the face of the franchise. 100%. The face of the franchise, unfortunately, has now moved on. Well, not by his choice. He moved on. So now it is Christian McCaffrey. Both offense so, and defense, Cam Newton and Luke Kinkley, both gone right. from the team. They, needed, they yeah. needed to do this to have a face of the franchise, and they did. That's a smart move on their part. I agree. All right. Next up, a little bit of unfortunate news. Uh, the XFL, and normally we kind of joke around when we mention that, but... Uh, they filed for bankruptcy today. Yep. Uh, they they were almost comical back in the early 2000s when they attempted to start a league that could compete with the NFL. Move ahead 19 years, 
Apparently, they learned a little bit. They tried to restart, restart the league and appeared to almost kind of try to work with the NFL instead of against them. Yeah. Uh, they were, you know, it, it wasn't overwhelming numbers, but they were having some attendance. They were getting some revenue, but they were a startup. And then, unfortunately, everything shuts down. Can't have any public gatherings. They don't have any kind of established money or, or money put away like the NFL. They had to lay off all their employees, shut down operations. It looks like this potentially promising league that could have at least had a few years to try to become something may be done for good. And I don't think they're going to have a third attempt to come back from this. No, they won't. They won't. Because Vince is, Vince is in his, in his uh, aging years. And I don't say Triple H, Stephanie. I don't know if um, Shane's still a part of uh, WWE. Yeah, I think he is behind the scenes. But, but this was an entirely different entity. None of those people were involved. No, but I mean, like Vince. Part of the money, obviously, is, is unless this is—is is this all Vince's money that he put up? He for sold. It? He sold stocks in WWE or shares in WWE to have this uh, money to finance it himself. Okay. Well, as far. I mean, there are investors, obviously, but it's nothing to do with the wrestling side of it. It's all he wanted to keep it apart because he didn't want it to be known as the wrestling football league. He wanted it to be okay. a legit football league. I just, yeah, I agree. I don't see. Uh, obviously, I was on board with the first iteration more than most fans. Yeah, that's you for know, sure. Chris, yeah. I didn't, I didn't buy any of the mini football helmets. This we didn't time. have time. They didn't make them. Right. I did. I well, I haven't checked. I might check. They're out there somewhere. You get your second collection going, buddy. But I, I wanted to try to get on board with it. I just, I don't know. I guess maybe I was apprehensive because the first time it bailed on me. So I didn't know. I don't know if I, I wanted to invest the time until they had a second season. This just seems like a money play by uh, Vince McMahon and all them just to try to prevent if they feel like because they lost the rest of their season, they lost their playoff season. And if there's a question mark about next year, because is the vaccine going to be ready? Are we going to see a depression in, you know, sicknesses? Are we going to see some treatment options? If we don't see that, then maybe you won't have the XFL come back next year. So, I don't even think it's anything to do with that. They lost so much money by having to for for a month having to pay people. Right. They didn't have this money put away. Like this was money they were taking out of their initial startup costs to pay the coaches, to pay the players. Even if all this is say this is all cleared up and done, and this is all a memory a year from now, I don't even think they have the finances to start up again. Right. And people aren't going to take a chance on them for a third time. I think it's unfortunate because. Like I said, the first time, it was almost a comical approach at football when they tried it, and I believe it was 2000, 2001. And then they came back and they tried it this past season, and it was a lot better. It wasn't unwatchable. You weren't, didn't feel like you were watching a soap opera on a football field. Like It was actually like a legit football game. They were trying to make a real sport of it. They were trying to have almost, uh, not quite a minor league system, but almost like a development system much like the right. D-League in the NBA for the NFL. And you do see now some of these guys getting signed from the XFL to NFL rosters, and they'll be invited to camp whenever that starts up and have a chance to prove themselves on that field. So for some people, it at least served its purpose. But 
I think even if all this is cleared up, I just don't think they have the finances to try a third round. And I it's know. a shame because they, they seem like they really had something, at least it's, something that could have put up a fight going. And they had some good ideas. And, you know, the NFL is always looking at it to see if they can kind of work some new ideas. Like, you know, the NFL, maybe not this year, but next year, the competition committee will look at some of these things that the, the XFL did and say, can we apply that to our game to make it safer? Right. More entertaining. You know, they'll, you know, there's a possibility they'll look at that, um, the conversion after the touchdown that they might look at that and say, it might be more exciting to have that option, you know, where they have the yardage uh, to get a certain amount of points. On. Right. You go for one, two or three points, depending on how right. far away you tried it. Yeah. Right. And you, that's like, a cool idea. That's something, that's something that, I mean, and they'll look at that. This is not the MB. Uh, this is not MLB who just poo-poo's every idea. They'll the NFL will actually sit down and kind of look at this and say, "Is it a good idea?" Just like they looked at the pass interference uh, review, right? And, and now they basically trashed it. Uh, I mean, it's 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 a shame that it looks like this might be the end of the line for the XFL. But I mean, hopefully they'll, you know, be able to whether it's next season or 2022, kind of get their ducks in a row and give it another shot. But we'll see. We'll we say. will see. All right, last thing. We have uh, Major League Baseball and the NHL have been talking about – I'm not sure when the NHL is talking about trying to start up again, but Major League Baseball is looking at trying to play the games starting in May uh-huh. at neutral sites with no fans. In Arizona. In Arizona. Uh, I've looked into a few other neutral sites. I'm not sure what the NHL has looked into yet, but I mean, I don't really see the point. I mean, uh, realistically, realistically, do just feel the dreams this and find a big cornfield in Iowa and make 15 diamonds and just play out the games every day. Everybody just goes and plays a game every day for a hundred days. And at the end of the, the two best teams play a seven game series when it's over. Like, at this at this point, Chris, I, you'd have to start May first with a con. You know, two weeks. You need it. What do you say? Two weeks to get ready for the season to start because you can't just you can't just roll the balls out there and say let's start. I think it'd be a lot more entertaining. You think so? Oh yeah. Let's, right, see, let's if- see. Let's see what some of these guys without without prime uh, without prime athletic trainers and stuff look like after a month of sitting around doing nothing. Why not? Uh, but you got to start May. You can't. I don't think if you if you're looking at June first, you're really pushing it to to get half a season in. Honestly, uh, dude, I think you, you, 50, uh, fifty to eighty games. Don't worry about an all star game. You can play it after that season if everything's cleared up. You know, play an eighty game season. Yeah, play it in Arizona. Just have everything, everything there. Arizona or um, any any area where there's a baseball diamond, any of those uh, those like Midwest to Western stadiums where there's a lot of open space, where you can have them come in. There's not nobody will be around. Play the game. I mean, this is all about money. Let's be honest. This is all about money. This is to recoup enough some money exactly. so they can they can move and. Wand. And this, even though it's something that's out of their control, they have contracts with these TV providers. Right. They need to provide 
content. Now, I understand why they're not, but then there's also an out in the contract. So they're worried about the contracts being voided. They're worried about a lot of different things here. So they're also worried. They're also worried about uh, players are getting credit for this year being a year, right? So whether they played or not. So I know and this is an example. If you're in, you know, in New England, this is an example that's come up a lot on radios. Is Moogie Betts is going to be a free agent at the end of the season, whether he plays a at bat with the Dodgers or not. And you're the Dodgers, and you now have to justify that trade of giving up the two prospects. Well, there's three, but two really decent prospects that they gave up to get him. And it has to be somewhat worth it because David Price is not worth it. it I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not too high on any one of the prospects the Red Sox got, but you know, you have to prove to your fans it was worth it to, to give up what you gave up to get Mookie Betts and to take on the David Price contract. So you could feasibly see that yeah. deal being like one-sided, even if Alex Verdugo tanks, which, by the way, I think he might tank. I don't know. Can, he just, I don't know. He, he just, he's a tool. <laughs> exactly. He's a tool. I, I was going to say a different word, but yeah, we can well, go with tool. We'll keep it a little bit, as, as friendly as possible, because I had a different uh, word for him too, but I, I kind of held back. For NHL, neutral sites have to be somewhere north because you can't play in Tampa Bay in July. It's just going to be too hot. So it has to be. Well, the trouble with that too is there's no there's no international travel right now. True. So how do you get the Canadian teams? I mean, with Major League Baseball, Unless that's not they... that's not an issue. But with with with, with you know. Canada or the NHL there's teams in Canada too like if you can't travel how do you get those teams back and forth um it all depends uh but if you pull them all in one spot then you can do it right uh, okay yeah it, it also depends when the lockdown happened because the lockdown there was a restricted lockdown at one point what was it January um but you have to think if some of these players got to go home to the places that weren't locked down. You have a lot of players from the old Soviet Union countries and Russia, your, your uh, Norwegian teams, uh, uh, Norwegian players, you know, from Norway, Sweden, Netherlands, like you said, a bunch of players from Canada. Did they all disperse to their respective countries? And I, we know the lockdown's not over. Uh, the, the, for the country borders. Some of these players might be gone and lost for the rest of the season until the uh, borders open back open. I think uh, Australia locked down for the entire year now. officially. Yeah. I think, I think it's a lot less complicated for MLB than it is for NHL. I really oh, don't yeah, know how, absolutely. I really don't know how NHL is going to do it. Uh, you have players from all over the world and MLB also, but if, you know, if, if the players are comfortable with it, they're not going to be around anybody. They're going to go from wherever they train, which is probably at most of their homes, to the stadium or to a hotel. It, it, it's a matter of can you find two or three places where, I mean, and quite frankly, I think you do away with interleague play right now. I think you do AL and NL like old school. You have an AL site, an NL site. You play those games. 
I mean, yeah, every team will have a day off. There's there's no perfect answer here. You still have to shorten the game. Yeah, you shorten the games, you shorten the season, because there's no way they get 162 in at this point. There's no way. Impossible. And you shouldn't even try. Shouldn't even and if, try. And if you're going to play on one, if you're going to play in one place, you know, AL, NL only, and you're going to try to play as many games as you can, you have to, right, you say, cut down the amount of games. You're going to have to cut down the innings because you're going to need to pack in two or three games in one day. And what they're going to start, they'll probably start at noon. So you're going to need to pack in, try to pack in three games. You're going to have to shorten the games because as we know, if you have the Red Sox and Yankees playing at, let's say 12 o'clock, they could be feasibly done at 530. You imagine Red Sox, Red Sox and Yankees playing in the middle of some Iowa cornfield till like 4 a.m. with like ESPN cameras all around and Jim Joyce just losing his damn mind. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think I think with baseball, it'd be feasible uh, if you did it. Like I said, shorten the games. Obviously, shorten the season. I think get to like 80 games. Right. Uh, if you're determined on doing a good amount of them, do like 80. There's not going to be any people around. They're going to be tested every day to see if they show any symptoms. They're going to be kept to themselves. Uh, if everybody involved is comfortable with it, then, then go nuts. But I think, like I said, you find... They might not even have to do two or three games a day on on one field because if you find some of these big open practice areas like that they go to for spring training, yeah, you can have four or five fields at one facility. You can throw up some makeshift fencing in an afternoon. Major League Baseball can make this happening. There's no big deal there. At, you play the games at the end of it. The two best teams, or the even if you want to do you know the the, the four best teams, the top two in each you know each division quote. Do that, have a five-game series, have a seven-game road series, and be done with it, move on the next year when you can have a full off-season plus to prepare for it. So I, what about I think it'll be a mess, but it'll be interesting. What about Omaha? I mean. That's where they play the um, college. Yeah, uh, plenty of series. fields. Plenty of fields out there. There's multiple. I know there's multiple fields there, and – you can always make a field regulation size, no problem. Absolutely. And the baseball they can fields, put the fences up, yeah. Right. No matter what, I think even my uh, Little League fields, they're kind of like the same dimensions, maybe maybe a little smaller. I know college ones are pretty much the same dimensions. It's, it's feasible to do it there, and I know they have multiple fields, so you can have multiple games going on at the same time. It, it, here's the thing. If you're going to do it, there's no half-ass in it. There's no asterisk. If you're going to do it, this is going to happen. It's going to count. The stats are going to count. The, the championship's going to count. Whoever wins it. don't. I don't want to hear any of this. If everybody's going to go, oh, well, they're going to do it, but it's not going to count. They're just going to count the following season. Then don't bother. Just say see you next February for spring training. We'll start next April, and we'll just take this entire season off. Don't do not do it and then say, well, it doesn't count, though. That's stupid. Well, the why, why are we going to watch then? The strike year um, stats counted. Sure. Even though they didn't finish it, they 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 counted the stats. So yeah, I agree. There's there's no way it shouldn't count. And if you're you're one of those teams who has all these, you know, you built your team to win. Now you want to play. So just go out and put a full force effort if you're going to do this, because you're going to have a small window, and right. you have to get it right. Don't 
don't say, oh, we're going to start May 1st, and then you start compiling everything April 29th, because you know what's going to happen, Chris. If they get if if they get notice seven days before, hey, we're going to start this day playing, those, those memos are going to leak out, and it's going to be an uproar because you're not – it's poor planning. That'd be poor planning. You need to have – you need to start. You need to know three weeks, four weeks in advance when right, you're going right. to start. And if so they're going to do all- a short, right? If they're going to do a shortened season, which I don't see any way they don't, they can start at the beginning of June. They can start beginning of July. Like they can, right. like you said, make sure they do this right. Have plenty of time. Plan properly. Don't half-ass it. If you're going to do it, do it right. And the NHL, they're just going to play the playoffs. It sucks for the teams that could have just got yeah. in with a few more games, but. It is what it is. You can do it. They'll probably just do a month, maybe June. Just play out the playoffs in a cold, uh, cold climate because you have to play in a cold climate. Heck, they could do. You know, you know they have the um, stadium series in hockey, right? Where they where they play in baseball and football yep. stadiums. They could easily do that in uh, the northern climates that are Absolutely. still still cold. It's a pretty fun, pretty fun visuals too. Or, or here's another option. Maybe they just move it all to Canada. It's cold there. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think I'm good. You got anything else? Yeah, we'll uh, we'll table a couple of other topics for later uh, another day. So I got a few more topics on the agenda. We will get those to you in the next episode. So if you, as always, have any comments or questions on any of our topics, please always feel free to get in touch with us and let us know. And Ben, how can they do that? Oh, you can hit us up on Twitter. That's BCTS Pod. Hey, you got it this time. On uh, Facebook, you can hit us up on Ben and Chris Talk Football. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. For Ben, I am Chris. Please stay healthy and stay safe out there. And we will see you right back here Friday morning. Thank you.